Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And we're literally perched on a very beautiful penthouse suite, gazing over the hills of Santillaria uh, for today's episode. And I'm joined by 20 years performance coach, Annalie Howling. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so used to just kind of getting that as a pause and I forget you've actually got your own microphone, which is a, is a revelation. I feel, I feel very empowered today. Thank you for this as well. I mean, what does it remind you of, seeing as we're... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to try and keep it PG, but yeah, it's, uh, this, is, this is great. It's very sort of 90s pop or Eurovision. I'm feeling, feeling this good This beautiful, brown, gorgeous sofa with our wonk, wonky painting. We've got a wonky painting. The aesthetic <laughs> is interesting in here. Yeah, it's very sort of uh, 70s kind of vibes. So yeah, a bit clockwork orange today maybe we'll, we'll have that <laughs> I mean what brings you to Ibiza on this particular occasion so this particular occasion I come to the island a lot um, one of my best friends lives here and I come sort of six or seven times a year and I, I find it very special for me and I've actually come every year since I was 18 and I'm 42 now and it's always a point of deep reflection for me so I make a point to come to the island uh, as a, a sort of self-check in anyway but this particular trip is a real whistle stop it's quite unusual so I've done some um, content some photography we're doing some work with a brand uh, we're doing some we're trialing some different content tonight for my own work I spoke at an event last night at a workshop did a talk about the inner critic to a trip for an influencer friend of mine who's over from Miami and had a big group of girls from all over the world and it was amazing actually it was a really um, very vulnerable conversation effectively with a group of strangers in the middle of quite a big restaurant and there was some unbelievable questions in opening up so that was really special last night um, so yeah it's, it's a bit of a, an unusual one this one but I always even if it's busy here when I'm here I still leave feeling more connected to myself Mm. Well, I mean, what's been your experience of Ibiza in the past? When did you first start coming here? Yeah, so I would have been eight. I, mean, I would have, actually think I would have been 17 when I first came. And that would be with groups of friends and the clubs. And, and I was always into house music. And that was a very special time for me. I think finding your independence and, you know, following passions. And at the time, it was huge, the club scene in particular and the parties and things that used to be there. Uh, and that was really fun, just spending time with friends and connecting to the island. But it's always been very beautiful for me. There's always been, I mean, the sun sets are magical and there's just always been this opportunity to kind of take a breath I think and just think about where I'm at in my life and maybe what I want for the year ahead I think it's been that sort of reset for me and just a, just a place to check in and I interestingly one of the most poignant memories we were talking about this last night we had some drinks afterwards with with one of the girls and there after lockdown in the UK the first thing I did as soon as we could travel was I booked a trip here with our mutual friend, Gabby, who you've had on the podcast. And we went, she picked me up from the airport and I wasn't in a good place. I'm happy to talk about that. And in the middle of a divorce and everything was very, very difficult. And Gab's picked me up from the airport straight to the ferry terminal straight to Formentera and I can just remember sitting in you know no, nowhere fabulous but just looking at the stars in the sky they're quite unspoiled and getting in that water and that was all I needed I honestly could have gone home after about two hours um completely renewed but there's no way I could have accessed that part of myself where I was there's just something I think about the island I appreciate that was Formentera but Ibiza as well but the water and just I can gain a different perspective here than I can anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely 
why so many people come here through, you know, hedonistic mm. pursuits, but also for, you know, wellness um, needs as well. And I think it just works mm. equally as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to get, you know, go out and have a wild time, but if you also want to do some deep inner work, I think it's just so interesting how this island and Formentera obviously can provide that platform um, to do the work. But I mean, what, how do you think place and space kind of influences um, your own kind of emotional, um, yeah, your own kind of feelings? How do, you, how do you think that they kind of infiltrate that process? So I think environments truly are really important and they can become, they can also be triggering positively and negatively. So if, if we're relating it to say trauma, for example, I mean, we could be quite traumatized by the sofa, but you know, there's, there's things that can remind us of our past. There's things that can be comfortable or uncomfortable, familiarity, smells as well. And, you know, flora and fauna of certain places that can be, you know, connected to us. And we don't necessarily remember why. And I think perhaps because I had such euphoric and joyful experiences typically in the summer months here for me to return when I do is generally speaking anchored it's like an anchor point for me in a memory in my intrinsic memory and inside my system that this is a, a positive kind of homecoming of sorts whereas some places maybe you would go to that that is exactly not the case and quite the opposite and you can feel quite anxious and difficult and it can trigger you in a very different way so that's why people can often have um phobias or you know issues around areas spaces places I don't like this I can't be with that and it's quite interesting to investigate maybe where that's come from because you might think well, you're being difficult or hard to please and it's often not the case people have got some experiences they might not even be fully aware of it could be subconscious as to to why they can't relax say in a certain place and so I do think environments are, are really important and if it can create a sense of safety, which for me it does here, probably because I know it so well, friendships, people that I know that live here as well, there is um, safety as well for me, which again enables another ele like element, a layer of connection. So what was it? I mean, you say you were coming here to take a little check-in moment mm. after lockdown yeah. and things weren't particularly going yeah. that well for you at that point. What was it that you were looking for the island to, to give you in, in that precise moment in time? That's such a great question. Myself back, because I was so far away from myself. We'd had the first lockdown. I was going through a divorce. It was really difficult that I mean, I had never been in that kind of legal um, entanglement before. So you're learning very, very quickly that like the learning curve is like that of this process that you didn't ask to get involved in. Like you're getting suddenly a GCSE and A star in something that I didn't ever want to learn. Um, very intense, uh, mentally very draining as well. Emotionally very difficult. I'm transitioning from being someone's wife to being single I'm transitioning to being a single parent not part you know we're still connected as a family and my ex and I get on very well but that all of those roles were shifting and changing and you didn't have the usual I could call it escape mechanisms or um, systems that help me perhaps to manage that you know social interactions being able to go out and go to different spaces I'm somebody that I know I need quite a lot of different environments for various stimulation you know, I like going to learn something I'd go on a course I'd connect with different people move my body in a class and although you could do these things on zoom or through a computer that wasn't available so I'd lost a lot of connection to myself and genuinely I was kind of under a bit of attack with this this new process I was going through I also worked the whole time so I was able to do my trauma work the the reprocessing of trauma during the first lockdown which actually gave me a huge amount of value I was grateful for that I think that really helped me through that time because it gave me purpose um 
but it was very difficult work that I was doing. And again, there was nowhere for me almost to discharge that, take that energy out. You know, like a little walk around in the winter is not kind of the same. So as soon as I could come here and there was definitely something about the feeling of being very far away from everything. I think taking the ferry as well, you're just aware that you're uh, that little bit further away and, and kind of disconnected. And it was the simplicity and the beauty, and it always is in the water for me. It's always being in the water. And there's something about just being in the sea and looking back. And in that moment, I was like, everything's gone. Every problem has gone. Like I've got, you know, I didn't necessarily have any answers. Nothing had really changed in my situation or my circumstance, but I'd got some hope back that I could manage it all. And that was all I needed. Um, but yeah, the, the answer was that I felt so far away from myself and, and coming back and having that trip in particular just gave me back back parts of me and some energy and obviously some some renewal and with a wonderful friend that I can be really open with um there's a lot of discharging you know like crying and emotions and things like that and yeah just came back you could use the term more resilient but ready to be able to continue with the process that I I had to face I mean you've been talking and doing workshops recently about you know uh, radical self-love essentially and I kind of wonder you know obviously everyone bandies around this kind of cliche that you know if you don't love yourself then you can't love anyone else I mean obviously in that moment where you probably considered being single again like how what kind of place were you in at that point yeah not the place when someone goes hey do you know what you need as I was talking about you need to love yourself first and you're like what you know and like dating after divorce is is a different minefield and and you come out and there are there are no different to you know you see all the stories and dating younger and you come out and you think oh it'll be like it was when I was in my 20s it's not like that at all <laughs> not at all like a completely different realm of of challenges and issues like and, what come on um, you're teasing us now so I think there's just lots of different dynamics at play and, you know, everyone's got stuff and that's fine, but there's a lot of people that have either really not addressed it. I think you have an expectation perhaps when you're older that people maybe aren't going to be playing games because you're like, I mean, for me, I'm like, I haven't got time for that. No. And also you're old enough to kind of know better. Um, and I think there's just an intrinsic you know we, we've all got limited time we've got responsibilities whether it's family or work or businesses you know you I think maybe I had an expectation that people would have sorted their shit out and that was not the case <laughs> I'm sure yeah. I mean we've all had a little dabble in our 40s at some point yeah yeah so that was surprising to me as well I think that oh okay this isn't just gonna be um you know there's not maybe a a sea of of like well-rounded like kind of quality individuals that seem to have their shit together it was it was very different I was like okay so this maybe isn't isn't a path that I want to go down right now and yeah this the self-love piece was I was talking about this this week and I and I was thinking about what I wanted to say during that talk and I was reflecting actually around this time and I, and I said for me the journey to actual self-love was that I probably had to hit myself low I think I had to get to that self-low first because honestly, before that, I was band-aiding. I was like, go out, you know, go out to this party, go out to this thing. My diary was so full. There was not a moment to be by myself. So I was talking about this this week and it's very different being okay with being alone with yourself, being happy alone, to being lonely. So obviously in lockdown, you're disconnected maybe from people and you know you couldn't interact perhaps in the same way, but you doing Zooms and da 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 You know, so being lonely is one thing, but being happy with yourself, being okay, just 
being on your own is quite another. And I don't think I'd ever let myself go there because I could just be busy. You know, I'm a human doing all the time rather than being a human being. There's always a wash to put on. There's always a class to go to. There's always a, you know, you can, you can be intelligent with these band-aids. Oh, I'm doing a course, I'm doing a book, I'm doing a this, I'm doing a that. You know, you can be really, really busy doing all this stuff. But really, I was also stopping myself from being with me. I was doing everything I could to not be with myself. That probably included dating and, and you know, these sorts of things. And so I do understand now why the universe had me go through the things that it did. Um, and why, you know, where I find myself now, which is in an incredible place. But yeah, I think I had to go to that self-low place to be like, babe, this isn't working. You've got to take these band-aids off and you're just going to, we need to just really be with you. And that was quite new and a bit scary. Um, and you need to be quite courageous to do that. And so that for me is where self-love starts, is just simply finding ways and times and opportunities to be with yourself. And I 100% have been avoiding that. I find that, you know, interesting because I absolutely love my own company. I can't lie. And I'm definitely doing exactly that this weekend. I'm taking a meditation course and just taking some time out for myself. And I and I feel like I hear that a lot with people saying they're petrified of what will happen when they stop. And there's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. You know, there's no one to please. And there's nothing to fill up their, their day with. And I don't, I mean, an ex-boyfriend said that to me once that he was, you know, never, ever, ever, you know, giving himself a single moment in the day to pause for breath because he was obviously terrified of what lie in between those moments. And I, I find that very interesting because, yeah, what, what is left? I mean, we're all forced to face ourselves during those periods of lockdown over those, you know, couple of years, really, when things were obviously closed and there was not much going on. But actually, I thoroughly enjoyed that period. And I don't know, I guess everyone's different. But is it just because people are just so busy all the time that they don't know what they're going to do when they stop? Or is it because they're actually scared of actually, you know, facing themselves or meeting themselves? So I think it's the latter. And like you now, I crave it. Like, I love my own company. I really need time on my own. I absolutely adore, there's nothing I prefer more than just knowing that I've got a good a period of time where I'm just going to be by myself. And I don't fill it with stuff. I'm not, you know, I've got really good, if I want to call it that, but I, I really enjoy my own company. Um, you know, I love the things I'm interested in and, and, you know, and I really have got to know myself very well, but I would say it's the latter. People are afraid. They, they, they think they don't want to go anywhere near what might be in Pandora's box. So, you know, I work with people, say the corporate sector, very type A, and they have literally completed Netflix because they don't sleep. They, so they, they are taking everything to get through the day. They're taking something to go up in the day. They're taking something to sleep every night. When they do wake up, the Taipei witching hour is between 1 and 4 a.m. So they're waking up then because they're, you know, they'll then watch things, technology, whatever, meetings. And the thing is, you can, like I say, you can choose these exits. Dr. Harville Hendricks calls it exits. And these exits can be ones that you're rewarded for. So working extra hours, going to the gym, you know, you can, you can take exits from yourself and also from intimacy. So in relationship, an exit is if you're scrolling on your phone, you know, when you're with somebody or, you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm doing something around the house, whatever it might be. Um, that's exiting from intimacy with another, but we can exit from intimacy with ourselves as well. And with all of this like busyness, the human doing. And I really think it's because we just don't know how to be with ourselves, <coughs> excuse me. And also I think we are, you know, with the advent of, of modern technology and all the things, we are kind of, our muscle, our tolerance is so fine that we're not used to um, 
doing that. I went away, I was away a couple of weeks ago in Mallorca, did three nights alone and, and I posted a couple of stories about it. And, and like you, I had so many messages of people saying, I wish I could do that. Mm. You're so brave. I really want that. That's the next step, you know? And so it's definitely a universal thing. This is, this is not um, individual. I think that a lot of people are, are feeling that way and kind of overwhelmed with the stuff and they know inherently they're feeling this calling or this craving to get to know themselves but there is a fear there is a block to them actually doing it and the the stuff is too tempting because it's always there the distractions are always there but if you're exiting um intimacy as you put it in a relationship I mean what you know what are the steps to healing that because I think that's definitely a common problem that I even hold my (laughs) And up, I think that that happens. We're all so addicted to our phones and there's always something to distract ourselves from the present moment. And I think it's very difficult, you know, apart from maybe putting that phone in a post box mm-hmm. on the way into the house and leaving it there till the next morning, which I don't have a post box anyway, because no houses in Ibiza <laughs> actually have post boxes on this island or addresses. It's all very confusing. But how do you, you know, how do you find that discipline or that awareness to know when you're you know, exiting that present moment? So obviously, in, if it was in a romantic relationship situation, it's what's right for, for you too and designing that in. And it's, it can be interesting to look at love languages. So if someone's love language is quality time, if the other person is scrolling, that will be very um, triggering for them, be very difficult because they want to be with you present whereas if neither of you have that it might not be so much of an issue so it's not necessarily universal if, if both people's love languages say are acts of service and you're both you know creating dinner and clearing up together and, and nurturing one another it might not be so much of an issue that then you're kind of taking an hour to scroll around but I think just knowing that that is something that is a blocker to intimacy because in that moment it is and it doesn't mean that you never do it but if you're doing it all the time a bit like if you you know I work out every day but I spend the evening eating chocolate well a bit here and there is no issue but if you do it all the time you're not going to see the results that you want there could be a cumulative effect so I think just being aware of that is is one thing and and you can obviously design in various systems if you want to have no phones here or a certain rule or something like that but it's interesting to know when you're doing it and maybe why not necessarily yourself or or maybe a question for you but you know do you find yourself doing it because it's a way that you can relax and kind of switch off do you find yourself doing it because maybe there are times that you don't want to engage with your partner and that's a way of actually you being like alone and processing despite living with someone and being with someone there are reasons that we're using it maybe we're avoiding a conversation that we we don't want to have in that moment people people choose these exits often because there's something beneath it and there's also I think slightly bigger but people inherently very rarely feel worthy of unconditional love Mm -hmm. so just being exactly as you are right now like exactly as I am right now not next week after I've been to the gym 15 times or whatever you know right now exactly as I am do I feel worthy of unconditional love so not tidying up the house not being you know like a goddess not earning loads of money right in this moment exactly as I am exactly as my life is and that's quite difficult for a lot of people it's not something that people feel um that they have within themselves we I think that a lot of that comes from childhood conditioning if I was looking at women I could say you know it's being a good girl and like lots of that sort of stuff Uh, women often struggle to receive I know men do as well but a lot of people struggle even to receive a compliment let alone say in um in the sexual relationship or or 
like acts of service you know someone wanted to do something for you and you think like oh I haven't done anything for you first it's a very it's very difficult actually to become so comfortable with yourself that you can fully relax and be in that receiving state and so often because of that we might be again doing the human doing because we think we need to be in somehow earning the affection and love from this person Mm. I think yeah it's difficult to say who feels worthy of unconditional love it's just we're so deeply programmed that we're not enough that I don't think that anybody ever really just sort of sits back and goes yeah I'm ready I I'm, I feel worthy I think it's a very difficult feeling to, to cultivate essentially to feel like everything that you know that you have in your life is there for a reason that's deserved um, I mean what was the kind of you know situation or the fallout I suppose from from the marriage like it and to make you want to do this kind of coaching work or were you doing that before? Yes, I was always doing the coaching work before I've done coaching for uh, a really long time. That was already my business. And with my marriage, it it wasn't any one event or any catastrophic thing. It was just very evident that actually what happened was there was some, you know, I could feel that things, there was a disconnect and things were not sort of coming back together. And I went on, given I'm a coach and a therapist and I have a coach and a therapist and I've got access to all the books and all the podcasts and all the stuff. I went on a journey of really investing in that to find something, the magical answer that would save my marriage. Mm. I didn't find that, but I did find the magical answer that saved myself. I I learned so much about me that I was unaware of that there is just simply no way that my ex-husband and I could have stayed in, in a relationship together. There is no way he could have met my needs and I would suggest there's no way I could have met his long term. And actually, I am so grateful for that because at no point was there ever a did I make the right decision. Because um, quite a lot comes with that. I've got a young daughter, you know, you're making choices on behalf of the, the family. And I know it's the right choice. And we were at a point where ill feeling could have started creeping into our relationship. And we are co-parents to her now. We're just no longer in a romantic partnership. And that's absolutely right. You know, we remain in relationship just in a completely different way. Um, So going on that journey to find out these things about me was the kind of deepest work, but the most rewarding. And... I can just never go back. Like I love the name of your podcast and that's kind of what happened to me. It reset me and there's almost this like inner rebel. It's not, it's just who I actually am authentically, but I cannot be with something now in any regard that, that isn't authentic to who I am. It's almost like repellent. Like there's a, it's it's not great all the time because there can be like an energy with, with people and I'm just like, I just can't, I just can't because I, I know it will cost me too much i.e. you know it might be a client like it could be really good money you know and you've got to pay the bills and stuff and the mortgage I'm a single parent and but I know that by working with that person my energy would be so low and I would suffer and she would suffer and da 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 so going on that journey for me was uh, actually amazing and I did find so much and it didn't save my marriage and that's really okay in fact it's fantastic and we're all in a much better place because of it and what it gave me is full knowledge and permission to really be fully myself and I'm I'm so grateful for that I mean what's the number one sort of fear that people maybe address before they exit a partnership I think there's a lot of you know fear in general about people Mm. actually being single Mm. as it comes back to the having to face yourself having to sit there and be alone and maybe spend some time to to really ponder I guess what what's next and for a lot of people 
you know, being alone is just not something that they really ever want to consider. So how do you, you know, when these feelings start to arise that perhaps all is not well, what would you, you know, how would you steer somebody in the right direction to making that decision? I think I would say, so I hope I'm answering this, but I'm just going to add something in. The most anxious I have ever been in my life, the most fearful, um, in pain, call it that, was the point just before I made the decision. I have never been more unhappy, more, like I say, anxious. I started clenching my jaw. I had to have Botox put in my jaw to stop me clenching. They couldn't get the needle in that side. It was so like, it was just horrible. And it was because, you're quite spiritual, I wasn't speaking. I wasn't saying what I needed. I was griffing on. I was, I was, you know, grin and bear it. I was doing all these sorts of things. And the second that I, I said it out loud, it, okay, there were challenges that came after that. I have never gone back to that place. So I would say that if somebody, if what I've just said is resonating and if somebody, whether it's a relationship, a job, a family member, a friend that's, that's toxic, you know, a passion, a pursuit, anything, and you're sitting there and that, that feeling of anxiety and trying to find an answer, like trying, 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 researching, going online, like there will be a magical thing that I can do and everything goes away. No, and but that's okay and if you're in that place of this deep anxiety even just saying it out loud I can remember there was a long time I wasn't ready to tell anyone even what I was thinking and I felt very ashamed you know I had a perfect life I had a very charmed lifestyle my ex-husband is incredibly attractive you know got a beautiful daughter like we're perfect like people you say you're so perfect Mm -hmm. and it wasn't perfect and I felt really ashamed especially with the job that I did and these sorts of things and um I remember being away with a, one of my best best friends and I was so good at avoiding telling people what was happening it's like how are you baby yeah, yeah yeah how are you what happened at work did you see your dad the other day what did they say you know like you just literally direct it to the other person I was so skilled at that because then see I'll never lie so I wasn't telling a lie but I just wasn't volunteering what was happening and I can remember being we were in Vienna at the Christmas market and being in a, in a restaurant she said how are you and I said I'm actually not okay and I started to tell her and she was devastated she was abs- she was absolutely devastated. She was crying at the table and she was, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I didn't know. And I was like, Donnie, you couldn't have known. I said, I purposefully didn't tell you. Like I purposefully was kind of, but as soon as I'd said it, this is the other thing I want to say, I sort of knew what I was doing because in saying it, there was an element of accountability. Mm. You know, I'd shared it with her. She was mortified, but in sharing it with her, we obviously had sort of created this kind of accountability between us that I would keep talking to her about it. I'd keep sharing what was happening with her. And also I'd said it out loud. And that meant that there had to be some action being taken. So that's sort of what I want to offer, that if that's resonating with anybody, as I say, in in any situation they could be facing that's really difficult right now. And around the table last night, we were asked everything from work to trauma to sexual abuse to all sorts of things marriage everything um you know it's that point before before saying something asking for help sharing with a friend you know really saying what's going on um maybe even fully admitting it myself as soon as that happened i mean that is part of what you're doing now isn't it kind of trying to empower women to actually identify what it is that they need and actually grow well i was going to say grow a pair but i mean we don't (laughs) we don't want to compare it to men's genitalia you know to empower them to actually 
yeah find that inner voice to be able to express themselves and I think why is it that women find it so difficult to say what they need to say when it comes to their needs in this lifetime I think so much of it is conditioning I mean it's it's quite stereotypical but you know be a good girl don't make a fuss don't make a scene be polite did you remember to thank them go and give them a kiss and a hug uncle so-and-so's here go and hug them say thank you you know I have to stop myself saying be a good girl to my daughter I have to you know, I like, because I don't want her to be a good girl. And what does that mean? Be on your best behavior. What does that mean? My best behavior is drinking spicy margs with my friends and like being a bit unhinged. Okay. That, yeah, that is genuinely my best behavior. I'm at my best then, you know, so, but we have this, you know, don't be too much. Don't ask for too much. You're a gold digger. You want too much. You're going to be, you're extra, you know, you're, no, that is my benchmark and expectation because I do that for myself, you know, so, but you don't want to be seen to be this, you don't want to be seen to be that. And it's like, you get so overwhelmed with this kind of messaging and, and inherently underneath it all, I do think is this fear of rejection, which is the number one fear that, that all humans have is that if we're socially rejected, you know, it goes back to, to times when we had to live in community for survival. And if you were rejected, it meant uncertain death because you'd be living outside of the community. And we do still need community and connection to meet our basic needs. But yeah, I think it just kicks in all this old conditioning and it's hard to shake off. As I say, I, I literally catch myself, stop saying it to her. You know, and I say to her now, like you're a little legend or something like that instead. And I and I I really try to not do it, but it's it's so inherent that we use it all the time. And I think we don't realize the impact it's having until these situations when you're trying to name a need, you know, if it's having a discussion about a pay rise at work or, you know, being overlooked for, we were talking last night, a lady was saying about being overlooked for a promotion because she knows she's doing such a good job. She's making her boss look good. So the boss has got no motivation to promote her, but she also needs to move her career on. And you're like, yeah, it's, you know, you can get trapped in all these different roles and be rewarded for being a good girl. And, and that's what's really difficult to kind of break out of that. Um, but I think you would probably agree as soon as you start doing it and you find your own version of, like I say, my best behavior, which really suits me, you just can't go back. How does that feel, though, being in London, presumably as a 40 something year old woman, being in those kind of circles of like type A's or whatever and, you know, working with those kinds of people, but feeling you know, you're single and you're not part of this family unit anymore. And I think a lot of women just feel like they can't be seen to be single and be alone and be doing what, you know, is best for them essentially and be the master of their own destiny. They have to be seen to be in a couple or they won't get invited to that dinner party mm. or to that weekend away. And I think, you know, that's a lot of the storyline that I think I was even facing back in my early 30s before I moved to Ibiza. And I was like, I don't have kids, I'm not married, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have some big high powered job. I was actually, you know, just becoming a yoga teacher, living in Brighton, a bit of a hippie by the seaside. And I was just really happy, but I just felt deeply that I just didn't fit into those circles or my friends around me. And I feel like that's the number one reason why I left. But I feel like that doesn't really seem to happen here in the same way. Of course, there's pockets and, you know, there's still plenty of judgment going on in Ibiza, but I think it's just a slightly different thing than what I experienced back when I was living in London, particularly. Mm. So I think I've been very, very lucky in that um, when I was going through, say, a lot of the, the stuff around the marriage, a lot of my friends always invited me to the dinner party and I was quite happy going on my own. So for me, and actually when you sit at the dinner table on your own and you see the dynamics in some of the couples and you think, oh, thank God that's not me. I always used to quite like going to back to my house 
which is immaculate because it's exactly how I left it, you know, and all those sorts of things. Um, and I do, I remember explicitly walking into a party once, a very lovely big party, and I was the only person there alone. It was a massive party for a friend's birthday. And this lady who didn't know me, we were chatting and she was like, where's your husband? And obviously it was like, don't have a husband. And she, she went, oh, but you're so attractive. You'll meet somebody. Don't worry, you'll meet somebody. You're so pretty. And I went, and I just like, I said, when was the last time you were in your house on your own? And they would look to me a bit confused. And I was like, it's amazing. I was like, please don't feel bad for me. Like, I'm having the best time, you know, I, I think. So I think there's something in the, um, I think because I knew it was so the right decision for me that uh, I was comfortable enough in that. And like I said, I had very good friends that would always extend an invitation. And I was, and typically speaking, like if anyone's worried about this, the blokes always end up in one place and the girls are always gossiping in another. So even at, at couple things, you always end up in groups. So I never felt left out. I actually always liked being able to duck out when there often was a little bit of a ding-dong starting where you can feel the underlying like passive aggressiveness and you're like, I'm off, you know. Too many spicy marks. Exactly, too many spicy marks. I'm like, I'm out of here, you know, thanks very much. So that was always quite nice to escape. And then the other thing that I did in case anybody's listening and either thinking, how will I find my community? I did a lot of retreats, I did a lot of workshops, I did a lot of classes, and I've made so many amazing friends that are exactly where I am on my journey. Like I've got this incredible group of girlfriends, we travel together, I'm the only one with a child actually, you know, we're all like the same age, a little bit older, we do awesome things together, and I think there is this um, sense, we're all divorced, you know, like we're all part of that club, and I just think there's this sense of being really grateful. It's almost like this second time around, this kind of, you haven't got a load of time to, to waste. You've got really beautiful connections. There are people meeting you in your life where you are now that you can share and do, you know, travel with and experiences with and, and things like that. And then that's available to you. It doesn't, you know, I've still got my old friend groups and things like that. And I, and I connect to all of them differently. But if anybody is worried or wondering where they might make a connection try a class go to a workshop I went to one in January and there was a most amazing teacher it was a kundalini class it was incredible and uh, you know she's asking why we're there and one girl spoke up and said I just like everything's changed me based in the last two months lost my relationship da -da -da, she I just don't know where to start I know I need to connect to new people and this is just the first step I'm taking and the teacher was fantastic and she said right did you all hear that like who are three people raise your hands who would like to get this lady's number and you've already just started a new community so it is there mm -hmm. it definitely is there but yeah finding the right places but I've always I'm mischievous like you know me so I quite like being the one that's just sat you know in a in my nice members club in Mayfair not because my husband a member there or you know I buy my own bag thank you like that kind of thing like it's I I quite like that I find I it very empowering really how would you describe that kind of feeling of freedom after all of this baggage that you've been essentially carrying around for a wee while? Yeah, that was the freedom that I feel is just literally being myself. So I describe it as being a shame free vessel. There is nothing in me at all. Like I walk around as a shame free vessel now. And I say that because I can compare it to how I felt. And so that feeling of freedom to me is just like a lightness. I just feel more energetic. I feel so positive all the time. I've, I mean, I'm always optimistic, but it just feels really congruent mm. to who I am actually. And it's just it's just being able to be genuinely authentic. And then you just can't put it back in. There's no, I wouldn't be able to fit back in that box now. There's mm. just no way. Um, so that's the freedom that I feel is more the freedom and permission to be myself. Mm. So if the first thing you did when you became Footloose and Fancy Free was come to Formentera, is there anything like specific that you 
maybe took away from that trip and that maybe you kind of bring into your your life back in London? Yeah, so I was reading a load of books at the time, you know, anything to help, like literally anything, possibly looking for band-aids, but just anything to try and help me get through it. Um, and I can remember sitting on a balcony with Gabs, our friend, and there was a shooting star as well on the balcony. And I'm being like, right, everything's going to be okay. And so I sort of took some of that back and that energy. Um, and actually it was from there that I came back and I started the Instagram channel. So started Instagram purely as a source because I kept seeing misinformation basically in mental health. And I think that's very irresponsible because most people and things are out there to make money. Okay. But I have a real issue where people are trying to commercialize other people's pain. And the real issue that I have is when people are like, hey, pay me $99 and I'll cure your anxiety. And then the thing is, it doesn't work. But that person, rather than thinking, well, that was a con, they think there's something wrong with them. They're already vulnerable. They're already in pain. They didn't cure their anxiety for $99. I must be so stupid a failure. Da, 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 da. And I think it's really, really wrong and irresponsible. So I started the Instagram handle, Natalie, my amazing assistant who's here today, uh, to put out just, just free stuff. Like, here's some advice that works. This is what I do with athletes. This is what I do with top traders. This is what I do with people that pay me thousands of pounds. Like, have this. Try this podcast. It's free. You know, anything that was real and genuine. Um, and so from that, it grew steadily but it grew and it's become very successful and the other social channels like today I'm being made a book offer today which is like amazing so uh at three o'clock today I find out probably which publisher I'm going to go with for a global book deal which is unbelievably exciting that's all come from Instagram and to be honest that probably came from the self-low then through the waters of Formentera being reborn, <laughs> the self-love and seeing, you know, seeing that, spending time with my friend, being really authentic. And uh, yeah, it, it's taken me on, on a different journey. So it, I couldn't have rushed it. There were so many times I wished I could have pressed fast forward. There were times it was too hard. There were times when it felt too much and it was loaded on. Um, but I am grateful for every single part of that. Mm. What books have you read that have helped you if you're about to write one? What what are the ones that you would say you would recommend people read if they need a little bit of a reset? Sure. So The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, I think, is exquisite. And that was one of the best things that helped me out of my head. Um, the, I, the way he sort of talks about the voice in your head all the time. And that if you actually listen to it, even for a couple of minutes, it works constantly in contradiction. So why are you listening to it? He sort of describes it as a flatmate, that if they were a flatmate, you'd be like, you're insane. I couldn't share a space with you, but yet we share this space with it. And he sort of teaches you to, to recognize that the voice is not who you are. And that really shifted a lot for me because I was very, very anxious at that time. And that voice was way too active and it was really damaging me um that was incredibly helpful I would start there for anybody it's also often recommended for grief it's a it's a very good one for any kind of grief that someone might be feeling another beautiful book is Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski I recommend that a lot um it explains attachment it explains female sexuality it explains desire it explains disconnects if anybody has suffered any form of sexual abuse it's incredible for that as well for healing but it's a really interesting book that talks about the science and biology of attachment especially heartbreak so again if you're going through a difficult time and you're really you know craving the toxic x or something it helps you by educating why you're feeling these feelings and normalizing it i love that um and another one that i would always recommend depending on what's going on i'm giving you three very different ones here would be the 48 laws of power by robert green which is um kind of about power plays 
but it's just exquisite so anyone that's say struggling with like a narcissist if you think someone might be gaslighting you if it's about work if you think you're being overlooked for something it's just really interesting because once you read it you start recognizing patterns in people and again you can feel quite empowered by understanding that so what is your book going to be about oh it is going to be about breaking rules so it's going to be about not being a good girl and uh, yeah what does uh, what does my best behavior look like which we've <laughs> covered off that will be the party that we have here for the book launch so yeah it's about breaking rules I feel that there's a um, I'm a bit done with do this and do this and do that and get up at this time and journal and make a ceremonial matcher and if you don't do this you're a failure and then make sure you do that as well and do this 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 and do it perfectly and I'm a bit over that and, I'm, and I find it overwhelming and again I think it can set you up for I mean, absolutely if any of those things work for you do them own it you know make it part of your routine but I think it can tip into toxicity again that you're sort of failing at this almost like aesthetic um, and I think there's something exciting about breaking a rule that's quite energetic and also it's genuinely looking into maybe like some of the history and where do these things come from and having done my research on it there are so many that you don't realize that ha- a bit like the be a good girl like how many we're living with every day and the impact and the effect that maybe that's having on you for me doing the research on the book it's been fascinating how many i carry around with me and like what? uh no pain no gain um things like that like uh you, you know you yeah, definitely don't make a fuss sort of don't make a scene asking for too much so fake it till you make it like those sorts of things are very um they're just so so often used they're in our I mean, our idioms in our, in our language so often used but they're not they're not conducive maybe especially when you when you put them together and you look at them but the book's also going to take you through a journey of if you want to do it all in one it's going to be very very healing and explain shame and trauma and, and all the other work that I do or it can be something where you just pick it up I love, I love that idea because I, I just you just as soon as you mentioned those words I had this image of my mum the first time she broke the law in uh, 77 years of uh, existence on planet earth and she came down to visit me in Brighton I got um, an emergency flight back from Goa and I was staying in a client's house down there. We're actually a very dear friend now. And she basically came down from her house in Windsor, down the motorway, broke the lockdown rules to see me to spend her birthday on the terrace in the front of the house, which was like an old Brighton house. It was like ground floor. So she had to come down some little steps. And I had, you know, just a big tray of champagne and flowers and chocolates and cake. And just the look on her face, like the utter joy of just being free and to have done something naughty and, you know, going against the rules of what, you know, I think when you're brought up in those circumstances, breaking those rules just feels like, I mean, she would just never even consider it. And I just called her up that morning and she was an emotional wreck, like on her birthday, obviously being completely stuck in Windsor and obviously I haven't seen anyone for months on end. And I just said, just get in the car. For God's sake, if I had a car, I'd come to you. I don't care about the rules. Like, you've just got to do what you need to do to have a good birthday because it's been rubbish for ages. It's like it's time for you to do what you need to do. And I think obviously knowing what we know now, it wasn't too much of a rule to break. But I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if I agree with rules are there to be broken as such, but I think there's definitely a good collection of them that really just need to be absolutely swept aside and completely ignored and and pretend that they um, actually never even existed in the first place. Well, I mean, have you ever broken the law? (laughs) Before we finish. finish. (laughs) Definitely not. Definitely not. Not at all. Never, never, never. Never in different countries. (laughs) (laughs) You must have done. You must have done. I don't believe you. I mean, most of mine seem to be connected to driving because I also in Goa, I remember we... 
hired a bike and we went to this place called Agonda from the place we were staying. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have my helmet on and basically saw this like roadblock of police. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I was absolutely terrified of what was going to happen. And instead of slowing down, I actually <laughs> sped up and drove straight. So I was like, I don't want to get caught, you know, and it's not really in the days of like digital cameras over there. So I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And they just jumped aside and it was actually the most hilarious thing ever. And luckily nothing, nothing ever happened. But I just found, you know, looking back on the things that I've done or encouraged other people to do, I think that's exactly how the Reset Rebel was born. But I'm fascinated if you've got any other good stories. I mean, there are probably way too many and I'm not going to put them on camera because I like going to the States. So like, but I'm going to say there was, uh, so we were talking about this the other day. I um, went to Spotify's head offices the other day uh, for a really, really cool meeting that unfortunately I'm under NDA, but it was awesome. And in the room with loads and loads and loads of cameras talking to somebody and there was a two-way mirror at the end of the room. And they said, there's people behind there. Oh, it was insane. What? There's people behind there. You're on a screen. It's going to the States. There's cameras everywhere. It was really intense. And I came away and met some friends um, after. And I'd, <laughs> this is hilarious. And I'd completely forgotten. But when I was at college, so I'm about 16 at the time. Yeah, I would have been 16. It's some woking. There was a scheme, and I can't remember how I got involved in this, but you could do lineups for the police and they'd pay you in cash. <laughs> so it was like a, it was. It a, you look quite dodgy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there was, you know, if there was a brunette that had done something that was five foot seven, you'd get you know ish you'd get called in and it was a really good earner and there was one one day that again I don't remember how we got involved in this but there was one one day where and I don't know what she'd done but we all had to wear like you know the decorating boiler suits like the sort of paper boiler suits we had to wear that they'd covered me in fake tan um not very well and we were all sort of sitting around but it was great because if you were there for a long time they paid you even more it's like 50 pounds an hour I'm 16 this is great in cash the police so did this line up when they or they bring the suspect out separately like all the girls are in one room and they bring the suspect out and we did this line up in the two-way mirror and they're like oh number five probably me and you know this one and then what we would do with that that was on a Saturday morning on a Saturday night we used to go drinking Andre drinking and the bar was next to the police station so it was <laughs> and I'd completely forgotten about the whole thing and uh, yeah, obviously fake IDs. I went to this this certain pub that was exactly next to the police station where we would go and do the lineups behind the two-way mirror. And I had forgotten the whole thing until I went to Spotify's offices the other day. And what did they? What did you tell the story? Who just reminded you? Literally, of it? I, I left the room because it was such a. It was so surreal being in there with Spotify. It was it was amazing, and and I hadn't anticipated there'd be a two-way mirror in a meeting room. It was quite weird. And then I met some friends afterwards for drinks, and I like anything I guess like like a, a memory it had reinvigorated that I have been in a situation with two-way mirrors before and that was it my little uh, my little gig gig at college how weird though that they've got these two-way mirrors and they're kind of like watching you mm-hmm. yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was intense, it was intense. Mm. interesting well I can't wait to find out what that's mm, all about sounds, sounds like it could be a podcast <laughs> which obviously you can't tell me um I think that's a good place to leave it really on being a naughty girl and breaking all the rules on planet earth unless there's any other stories that you wanted to squeeze in there before we finish no I think that is a that is an awesome one that I was enjoying myself recently so yeah good trip down memory lane and being a rebel from always being a rebel well thank you so much for for joining me on this beautiful brown sofa it's been a joy it's been I've loved it thank you Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel